Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. My name is Sharon Walcott, and I am the chairperson of Zit Friends and will be your host this evening. Not to fret, Ms. Valerie will be back to host the next show. This evening, we're going to have Dr. Vanita Sheath will be joining us to discuss what's going on with vitiligo treatment, research, and her thoughts on vitiligo maintenance. Dr. Vanita is a dermatologist at the Brigham and Women's Hospital here in Boston. Let's welcome Dr. Vanita. Let's um, please tell our audience about yourself and then, then give us an overall description of vitiligo and why you specialize in treating vitiligo. And so I kind of made it my mission to focus on a disease that we really don't know a whole lot about and don't have a lot of great options for it at this time. So. Okay. And what are the current treatments and medications available to treat vitiligo? So usually we break down the treatments depending on how much of the body is involved with the disease. So for people that just have a few areas or less than 20% of the body surface area involved, we tend to start with things like topical steroid medications or other Mm -hmm. medications that some people may have heard of called protopic or Eladel that basically work like steroids but without the side effects. And these medications tend to work better for patients who have just a few areas and they tend to work better on the face. And generally we try them for at least two months before we decide if it's working or not. Um, but most get at least a little bit better. But very few get significant repigmentation with that. For patients who have more widespread disease, uh, we tend to mm-hmm. do things like light therapy. Um, there are two different wavelengths of light that we can use, one that requires a pill to be activated, the other that just is a light box that you would go into to get treatments. Um, and the nice thing about light treatments is it's useful if you're treating a large part of the body, um, and it's also nice because this topical steroid can treat the spots that people have, but it can't prevent new spots from coming. The light treatments can sometimes both treat the spots as well as prevent new spots from coming. The downside to light treatments is that you do have to come in three times a week for several months before we can really tell if it's going to work or not. And what if you can make it three times a week and you skip the treatment? What would happen then? The possibility of getting repigmentation if you could only come, say, once or twice a week is still there, but it's going to take a lot longer to get any repigmentation. And some people feel it's not even worth it if you can't do it at least twice a week just because the thought is that it suppresses your body from attacking the cells that produce color, but you have Mm -hmm. to constantly be attacking it. And if you're not, then your body starts building up these antibodies again and it keeps attacking your skin. Um, The other thing that I've found with the light treatments is that it tends to work well on the body, um, mostly on the chest, the stomach, the back, 
sometimes on the arms and legs, but the hands and the feet, for whatever reason, seem to be very hard to get color back into. The other thing I wanted to mention was um, a treatment called the eczema laser that some people may have heard of. Basically, it's a laser that you can use that works kind of like the light treatments, but it's good for treating very small areas that just haven't responded to anything else. The downside is the cost because it's a lot of times not covered by insurance. Would you be able to purchase that and have like a home therapy? Or or, or is it just basically um, treated in the hospital with a laser? It's pretty much has to be treated in the office just because lasers in general tend to cost anywhere from fifty to seventy thousand dollars. So oh, sometimes for the okay. yeah. <laughs> sometimes for the light treatments though actually for patients who can't make it in, you bring up a good point. Is sometimes we can petition insurance companies to pay for home units that people mm-hmm. can use and then we would just check in, you know, every two months or so to make sure they're dosing themselves correctly, not getting burned in the light box. So we do do that sometimes for patients who just live far away or it's hard for them with work schedules or school schedules to come in three times a week. So that would be an option, too. Sounds like a pretty good option versus going to the hospital three times a week with a busy schedule. Yeah, exactly. If, if your insurance will cover it, then it's definitely worth, you know, taking them up on the offer. But sometimes it can be hard to get them to cover the cost of the light boxes. I'm sure you must have to have a premium type of insurance for that. Most patients end up, yeah, the ones that we're able to get it tend to have more of like the Cadillac plans for the insurance companies. So that's one of the more frustrating things. Because the insurance companies consider it more of a cosmetic issue, they tend not to cover a lot of the treatment options. For example, like the surgical methods that you can use sometimes to repigment. Often patients Mm -hmm. end up having to pay cash for that because the insurance company won't cover it. They say it's not medically necessary. So what they don't understand is that it takes a toll on your self-esteem, your quality of life, even if it doesn't affect your lifespan. Absolutely. We'll have to petition for that at some point in time (laughs) for the insurance company to cover it. One of the reasons that a lot of people try and publish these effectiveness of some of these methods is in hopes that the insurance companies will start paying attention and saying, hey, these things work. It's worth spending the money on. But to date, at least, we haven't had much luck. Okay. Well, now that you mentioned the various types of treatments, like the steroids, the light treatments, the laser treatments, and the grafts, which one of these would you say would be the most effective and why? So I've tended to find, and in reading the studies, um, that especially if you have active disease, meaning you're still getting new lesions, your spots are growing in size, that phototherapy or the light box tends to work the best because, (coughs) excuse me, what it does is it hopefully will cause the skin color to come back within the spots you have, but it can also prevent the disease from getting worse and kind of halt it in its tracks. if it's just the face that's involved, sometimes we will just do topical steroids. And some people actually do really well with that. But if it's other parts of the body, I find that it's just very cumbersome for patients to keep rubbing creams on twice a day, day in and day out, especially if they have multiple places they have to apply it to. So sometimes it's actually easier for them to just come into the light box for a few minutes and call it a day. Um, and with, it, with the I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was, I was, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interject. But with the light box treatments, let's say 
you regained your pigmentation. Do you have to continuously sit in the light box to, or, and have the treatment so that the loss of pigmentation doesn't come back, kind of like with Rogaine? Let's say you take Rogaine and then you stop taking it, and then all the hair from the point where you started taking it falls out. Is the light box similar to that, or is it uh, is it effective Actually, one one-time deal? Yeah, we've actually found that, you know, let's say you go into the light box three times a week for, you know, two to four months and you, you're happy with the results, that you can go ahead and stop. And for some people, depending on, again, it's, it's so hard to predict, but for some people that might be enough. For other people, they may find that a few months later that it's starting to come back, in which case if the lights work, then we would just mm-hmm. start the light treatments. So it's somewhat hard to predict, but it does give you longer-lasting benefits and sometimes the topicals do. Okay. Well, do you know or could you estimate what percentage of the vitiligo population who have who have regained all their pigmentation back? Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say overall because, to be quite honest with you, I don't think anyone has ever really looked at long-term how many of the patients get you know, what percent better. Um, what I can tell you is that when you're just using the topical steroids, about 40% of patients will see some improvement after six months of treatment. Um, mm-hmm. With the light treatments, there's two different kinds. So there's the ultraviolet A wavelength and the ultraviolet B. With the ultraviolet mm-hmm. A, um, about 70 to 80% of patients will see some improvement, but they say about fewer than 20% will get complete color back. And that does tend to work better on the trunk and on the face. Um, for the ultraviolet B, we tend to find that, again, about 75 80% of patients will see some change, some improvement. But, again, it's hard sometimes to get complete repigmentation. What I, we have found is for patients where their vitiligo stabilizes, meaning we've kind of halted the progression, it's not getting any worse, the spots that they have have filled in as much as they're going to fill in, sometimes we can do what we consider surgical options, things like transplanting skin from other places or transplanting the cells that produce color. And sometimes that can help get you that last little 10% or 20% improvement. So sometimes it's a bit of a process. Okay, and would that be covered by insurance at that point, or is that still considered cosmetic as well? Unfortunately not, and that's one of the most frustrating things is there have been some very good studies out there showing that these surgical options work very well, but Mm -hmm. they can be very expensive to pay for out of pocket, and the insurance companies will not cover them. And when they have those types of surgical graphs, is it for what color is the skin? Is it like a lighter skin, a medium tone, or a darker skin? So the hope is if you have a very successful um, graft, for example, let's say you take a piece of skin from one part and put it into the vitiligo, the hope is that it would be the same color as the surrounding skin, that everything would kind of blend in. It doesn't always happen, but actually most of the patients that I've seen who've had transplants that worked, um, Mm -hmm. the skin basically evens out completely, so it's all the same. Excellent. Which is why it's so frustrating that insurance will pay for it because it can work very well in some people. Well, we'll have to put some more research into that, into researching why the insurance companies just won't cover it. Yeah, so maybe if more people start demanding it, you know, if more people start asking for it, eventually... Like our audience? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well... 
Do you know, or could you estimate what percentage of the vitiligo population have lost all of their pop- lost all of their pigmentation? So, an exact number would be hard to give you, but I would say that this percentage of population would be very rare, somewhere in the range of maybe five percent, ten percent. What we do think is that over time, vitiligo does tend to progress. For most patients, it's very slow, and it never gets to the point where it involves the whole body. Um, But in patients who have lost 80 or 90% of their skin, um, we sometimes talk to them about just depigmenting the rest of their skin just to make it all one color. Because most of the patients that I've seen who have that much involvement of their skin just say, I'd rather just have it all be even. The only problem that that I've covered recently... I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I was going to say it used to be covered by insurance, but one Mm -hmm. thing I've just recently found out when I tried to prescribe the medication for this one patient, there's only one medication available in the United States to do this, and it used to be available, and I've just found out recently that I've had patients have a hard time getting it. They say the pharmacy has been telling them that it's no longer being made. So I hope that's not true, but that's something that I need to look into a little bit more to see if this medication is even available still. Well, how do you depigment skin? Is it a topical or is it a laser? Basically, there was one cream that was available. It has a long name to it. What you would do is just apply it to one area of the skin that still had color, and over time, it would cause loss of pigment in that spot as well as other spots on the body. It would basically be so irritating to the skin that it would just kill all the color, and it would be permanent. So once you've done that, the color will never mm-hmm. come back. So that's why we tended to do it more in adult patients because for children, you never know if they're going to change their mind, if they may have you know improvement later on down the line. But in adults, you feel like, I've made the decision and I'm pretty, you know, secure with that decision, then we used to use this cream. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope they're, they're still making it or in other parts. Do you know which country? Is it made in the U.S. or is it made in another country? I believe it's made in the U.S. I think in other countries they may have other things available. Um, so generic? it may be that and it, they may be completely different ingredients from what I understand. And so, you know, it may get to the point where if it's not available here, we may have people start buying it from other countries like Canada or, you know, places where you can you can trust what's in the medication. But that's something I need to find out. Alrighty. Well, are there any um, exploratory treatments in clinical trials or awaiting FDA approval that you are aware of right now? There are, actually. Uh, One resource I wanted to mention um, to the audience is there's actually a website that's free that you can go to where every clinical trial has to register itself through the government. So if you're ever looking for something in your area that you may want to get involved with, you can check Uh the website and it'll give you all the information as to what studies are going on in your area. And the website is just clinicaltrials.gov, And um, the studies, at least kind of in the New England area, um, involve things like stronger ways to suppress the immune system. There are certain medications that we use sometimes for other skin diseases like psoriasis that are injectables that people Mm -hmm. are now starting to study in vitiligo as well because the thought is if you can just stop the immune system from attacking your skin that you may halt the disease and you may start bringing some color back. There have also been some um, studies ongoing now using herbal supplements 
in particular ginkgo, to see if that may be a benefit in vitiligo patients. And then one interesting study I found was actually looking at Botox to see if... Really? Nerves. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. It was, they were looking to see if treating the nerves, if there's something the nerves may be releasing that's attacking the skin. And so if stopping the nerves from doing that may help vitiligo. And then there are always studies ongoing with surgical treatments, trying to see if they can perfect techniques. So those are some of the things that are ongoing right now. Some of the studies are still actively recruiting patients. Others are basically just analyzing the data at this point. So hopefully we'll see some published work soon. And are you aware of any, any treatments that are almost at the FDA approval level, though, and not just the clinical trials? Nothing yet. Nothing yet. What a bummer. Well, let's hope some yeah. of these can roll into some. Yeah, well, we'll Especially see. Especially yeah, if so, it would be interesting. And, again, I think the big question would be if, if it does work, again, would the insurance cover it? But Well, it's not that expensive. Or it's I don't think depending it's on how large, depend, Yeah, depending on how large an area you'd be treating. But the one that I'm more interested in currently is, is these injectable medications that we've been using for psoriasis and other conditions because if they work, and oftentimes, at least in psoriasis, they can give people long-lasting periods, like years, where they have no disease anymore. And they're safe and easy to take. They don't require a lot of blood monitoring or a lot of visits to the doctor. You can do it on your own time at home. Um, and usually the insurance will cover that. Do you know what that. they're called? Oh, and they're covered the by insurance. Do you know what they're called? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one that is being studied right now is a medication called Enbro. Embro? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you may have seen commercials for it either on TV mm-hmm. or in magazines. They started advertising a lot for psoriasis. So it's it's about time I feel like people are starting to be more aggressive about treating vitiligo with some of these things that we use for other conditions. And I think it, that they're treatable for psoriasis and that it could be a two-fold type of treatment. It makes it easier on the insurance to make the decision to cover it as well. Exactly, exactly, because it's already being covered for something else. Well, rumor has it that India has been treating vitiligo for centuries. Can, If you're aware of them, can you describe some of the treatments, and can you foresee incorporating these holistic tre- treatments into Western medicine or even standalone in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because, as you say, there is a lot of uh, vitiligo research that comes out of India. And I think partly because there's a large population of patients there, but also it's very socially stigmatizing there. So people are very motivated to seek treatment. Um, in terms of treatments that they use, actually one of the original light treatments that was used for vitiligo came from an idea that started in India where they used a plant extract um, called Thorolins that we now use for the ultraviolet A treatments. Um, mm-hmm. They also do a lot of stuff with vitamins, and that's something that hasn't been very well studied. There's this ongoing study now with ginkgo, but some people feel like even just taking a, a general multivitamin that has vitamins A, vitamin C, vitamin E, that things like that may help vitiligo. The problem I think that most Western physicians have is we tend to, focus more on what's been published in the, the journals, what's been, you know, well-studied. 
And a lot of the more holistic or homeopathic treatments, they may work, but until people see studies that are well done and published in journals, I feel like people here aren't going to, to really take them to heart and to use them. But one of the big things that people in India do are a lot of these surgical treatments. They do a lot of these things called blister grafts, where basically you make a blister in the normal colored skin, and you use mm-hmm. that as a as a donor, basically, donor skin to put over the vitiligo. And they've had very good success with that. Um, And people here have started to do it. Not that many in the U.S. I think there are only maybe a handful of dermatologists who have the equipment um, to do it. And, again, I feel like I keep coming back to this point, but the downside is the cost. But the success rates are actually very good for the blister grafts. So that is something we're starting to bring over here more. Excellent. That's something we could Google, blister graph. And, and what about just your immune upkeep? Because is vitiligo due to some type of deficiency in your immune system as well, where you mentioned the vitamins? Well, what so would protect our skin or a loss of pigmentation? One of the theories out there, and, and no one's really entirely sure if there's just one cause for vitiligo or if it's multiple things kind of coming together in the body, but one thought is that your cells that make color in the skin may be more susceptible to stress from things called free radicals or oxidants. Mm-hmm. And so some people feel like taking vitamins that are antioxidants or taking food that are you know contains a lot of antioxidants, things like blueberries, pomegranates, um, it may be of benefit. So it's something that, you know, Based on the levels that we think you need, most multivitamins contain enough of these vitamins, but some people may feel like eating foods that are rich in antioxidants may be helpful too. But it's hard to really give strong recommendations just because, again, there are no good studies out there that show that, for example, just taking a multivitamin alone or just eating a lot of antioxidants alone can improve vitiligo. Usually people need a combination of things. But my personal opinion is it's Certainly taking a multivitamin isn't going to hurt anything. It's good for your general health. And if it does help your vitiligo, all the better. That's so true. And it's not that hard to do, and it's pretty inexpensive as well. Exactly. It's an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. It is. And is there any research in the U.S. right now or anywhere else in the world that's being conducted to identify a cure, not just a treatment, but a cure? Um, well, I shouldn't say the cause, but a cure for vitiligo. So I think most of the research right now is kind of split into one of two camps. Some people are just kind of trying treatments and kind of like throwing darts at a dartboard and seeing what sticks. And then there's a separate camp of people that doesn't see patients as much, and they just focus on understanding what the cause of vitiligo is. But my personal opinion is that Understanding the cause is really what's going to give us the cure. So doing more of the genetic studies and more of the what we consider basic science research can really make a huge impact. You know, I come back to come back to this condition psoriasis. You know, people did a lot of work trying to figure out what the underlying genetic basis was for it, and that's what really helped us develop some of these injectable medications that were great, much better than anything else we were using before. So my hope is that if we can do something like that in vitiligo, we can develop more targeted treatments so that we're not just kind of blanketly suppressing people's immune systems, that we're actually treating the underlying cause on a genetic level. 
So I think that's where people are starting to focus now. Cool. Well, maybe we should hook up with some microbiologists who can help us out here. You know what you need to do your thesis on? You need to do it on vitiligo. <laughs> we need to be, we just need so much more awareness of the disease that they could, as you said, find the cause, the root cause versus just the cure and the treatment. Exactly. But, I think that's really going to be the breaking point and what really kind of opens the doors to, to some long-lasting cures for patients. Well, now that you mentioned, I, I, I don't mean to be redundant, but can you describe some of the current trends in vitiligo? Like, for example, are there more or less cases of vitiligo being reported, or has there been no change? It's more or, or do you have reports that actually have a, a, a number of people in the U.S. and then worldwide of pe- well, that's people with vitiligo? It's, it's, it's interesting that you ask that question because it's something that nobody has really tracked over time. It would actually be a fairly easy, you're giving me ideas for studies, actually. It would be a very easy thing to do. <laughs> but nobody has really tracked that in adults or children. We think it's been stable, that it's roughly half to 1% of the population, at least in the U.S., um, but nobody really knows. You know, it's, I think part of it is just because people aren't really taking the disease that seriously, so there just isn't a lot out there. So hopefully so you think it's a group. <laughs> I'm sorry. I keep doing that to you. I apologize. I, I was going to ask, do you think that people are just not taking it ser- seriously or it's just a lack of awareness? I think part of it is that there just aren't that many people interested in the disease in the U.S. as much as there is in other countries where they have more, um, I would say, people of darker skin tones because it's more noticeable in those patients. They're more likely to seek treatment. So that's why I feel like a lot of the research we're seeing comes out of places like India, the Middle East, Asia, where people feel more stigmatized by the disease. Um, and I also think partly it's just because it's hard sometimes to get everyone around the country to collect data and to kind of collaborate and pull together. So it's going to take a little bit of work on our part as well. True. I just like to back up where you think that people in those other countries that you listed feel more stigmatized, where I know several people here in the U.S. feel exactly the same way that they're being stigmatized. I don't think it's just because they're and another, con- another country, because the U.S. isn't very accessible either. People with vitiligo here, I, I find, often receive fears. People want to know, are you burned? And I think it happens here in the U.S. as well and, and as in other countries, too, with darker skin. Oh. I think it happens at whatever level. I, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think you are. Um, a lot of it we find in, in a host of skin diseases because the skin is such a visible thing that it's hard to hide sometimes and you do get people staring and you do get people pointing things out to you that you would rather have them not. And so we find that a lot in skin diseases in general. So we have to have them all bond together and like really focus on having research done on this. I really think so. Especially since mm-hmm. you said that there's no, there's no research out there today that, that counts how many people have vitiligo in the world or in the state or in this country broken down. So we need to petition for that. Yeah, <laughs> I think that yeah. will be my takeaway from this interview with you. <laughs> and, we and, definitely you know, need more advocacy. We do. 
And I was curious about children's skin. Are they more receptive to the treatments that you listed above because their 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 skin's so young and tender and has more elasticity or whatever? Does it heal quicker? Does it respond quicker than an adult skin? Yeah, we actually do find in in the few studies that are out there that children with vitiligo tend to respond better, even to things like the topical steroids and other creams. Sometimes that can be enough in a young child or in a teenager to get significant improvement in the condition. Um, Even with topical steroids on the face, you know, up to 95% of patients who are children can get complete repigmentation back. So they definitely respond better than adults um, to topicals. Um, light treatment can be used in kids as long as they're old enough to stand in the light box. Um, mm-hmm. And they actually do respond better, too. In one study I found looking at ultraviolet B light, up to 80% of children had stabilization of their disease, meaning they weren't getting any new spots and their existing spots weren't getting any worse. And up to half of them actually had almost complete repigmentation. So those numbers we don't really see as much in adults. So they definitely tend to respond better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yay. Cool. Which is good because I think in children, the tougher thing, especially as teenagers, they tend to experience a lot of feelings of depression and shame and anger because of their skin conditions. So hopefully if they can seek treatment, they'll have a, a good chance of success. I know because even without a skin disease, they go through those emotions anyway. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, since vitiligo inevitably makes all patients extremely self-conscious, even those with loving support systems who really don't believe what we're telling them or whatever we're saying, how do you prepare a newly diagnosed patient for his or her journey? So it can be tough sometimes, I'll be honest with you. You know, aside from having good family around, good friends, people who are going to love you no matter what, people who loved you before you had the disease and you're still the same person and talking to them about your feelings about this, feeling like you have someone who you can vent to when you're frustrated or having a tough day. Um, you know, some of the, the other groups that are out there, aside from Fit Friends, you know, the main one is the National Vitiligo Foundation. And I think that's the one that most patients uh, end up joining. Um, but the other thing I always talk to my vitiligo patients about, if they choose to go this way, is camouflage makeup. Because for some people, that can be, um, it can make life just that much more livable if they feel like they aren't constantly having to expose their pigmented skin to people and not everyone wants to do that some people feel very comfortable and confident and um, don't feel the need to cover up but other patients are more self-conscious or work in a job where they're you know in sales for example or they're always around other people having to, mm-hmm. to talk to people for work and for them sometimes just being able to cover up the areas at least for important days like their wedding day or important meetings um, can make a big difference And but it can be because it can be. I'm sorry. I'm gonna say it can be very tough though. You know, when patients come in for their first visit, because the number one question almost everybody asks is, "Is this gonna spread over my whole body?" I think that's at least from the patients that I've seen, that's their number one concern: is, "Am I gonna lose all my color?" And it's frustrating because nobody really knows. It's very hard to predict who's just gonna get one or two and who's gonna. 
who's going to lose it all. So that's usually the the conversation that's toughest to have with people. I know that's it's such a tough tough question because you don't know you don't know whether they're going and what, and how fast it's going to progress. I'm sure you you hear that all the time too. Is it going to spread like this in a year or two, and it might not ever. Exactly, you know, and and one of the things that we always do at the first visit is at least check a basic set of blood work just to make sure there's no underlying medical condition that could be driving it because especially with vitiligo, uh, almost a quarter of patients end up having thyroid disease as well. And sometimes if the thyroid disease is what's driving it, then if you just treat that, the vitiligo will kind of uh, stand down and, and not be as bad as it would have been. So I would definitely recommend to all new patients to have their thyroid checked on a regular basis and to have at least a general panel of blood work to make sure there's nothing else going on. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. Do you recommend any support groups like uh, VitFriends? I would definitely recommend VitFriends, especially to people in the New England area. They're a fabulous group of people who are very positive, very motivated, and very much willing to be advocates for patients with vitiligo. Mm-hmm. Yay. Let yeah. me throw out our, our email address and our website address. It's vitfriends01 at AOL.com and www.vitfriends.com for all those who are listening who would like to be in touch with us and have some type of support system going forward. Do you, um, do you have any other websites or support groups in the, the other, local Boston yeah, area? The, or? the main group that's kind of the, the national group would be the National Vitiligo Foundation. And they also sometimes support research and they can... Um, provide patients with handouts and information, and they have a lot of good information up on their website as well. Excellent. And again, good friends. <laughs> do you have any thoughts or recommendations about skincare maintenance? Like, Do you have to treat like your skin differently when you go in the sun? Should you cover up? Should you expose it to the sun? Other, as you mentioned, certain foods and vitamins. And let's talk about exercise. Does exercise or help? So in terms of skincare itself, um, sun protection is very important when you have vitiligo because basically the skin that is involved with the vitiligo that's lost its color is that much more sensitive to sun damage over time. And I have seen patients actually develop pre-cancer and skin cancers within their vitiligo if they weren't good about sun protection. So to some extent, you know, five, ten minutes here or there, it's probably not a big deal. But if you are going to be out for any prolonged period of time, you know, walking around or driving even, because you can get some through the car window or the train windows, to definitely try and wear an SPF 30 um, or higher even. Um, But a 30 is usually good enough just to prevent sun damage from causing things like skin cancer later in life. In terms of food... um, you know, anything that's rich in antioxidants, but even just a general good multivitamin can be enough. And exercise is an interesting question. I haven't seen much in the way of research or people talking about exercise being beneficial for vitiligo specifically, but the same thing with vitamins. I think exercise is just a good thing to do for your body, for your peace of mind, the stress relief, and just to kind of help you, you know, gain some inner strength and get through the day. 
Well, the only reason I asked about exercise is because I would think it would help your immune system. Is that correct? Or is that a myth? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, no, it so is it true? Does. Or is it a myth? Well, I think it does help boost your immune system. The question is if your body is still producing things that are attacking your skin, does it really mm-hmm. stop that process? And that I would say nobody really knows. So it doesn't hurt to try. Yeah, it certainly, again, certainly wouldn't hurt. Same thing with the multivitamin. It's not going to hurt. It may make you feel better overall anyway, so it's a good yeah. habit to get into. Mm-hmm. All the more reason to get out there and start walking. Ladies, yep. gentlemen, are you listening out there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and moving on to, we hear you have a new clinic opening in January 2011. Is that true? That is. I'm actually working on setting up a vitiligo center at the Brigham and Women's for patients to Woo-hoo! come in. And, and Yeah, so hopefully we can kind of go through the conversation we just had with patients. And we do have a treatment center with the light boxes there as well as we'd be able to do topical treatments. And my hope is that we would be able to start doing some of the surgical treatments as well because I have done some punch transplants before. So hopefully that's a service that we can offer people. And would you offer the blister grafts too? So the blister grafts, I have to admit, I haven't had much experience with, but if I can mm-hmm. find somebody who's willing to teach me, I would be more than happy to do it. Excellent. And where is your clinic going to be located? So the clinic will be in Boston. Uh, the address is 221 Longwood Avenue, and it's basically through the dermatology clinic at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. Excellent. Cool. Let's see how much time we have left. We have seven minutes. Would you like to try and answer some questions? Or? Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, if we have people out there listening, if you'd like to dial in, it's the number is 805-285-9710. We'll give you two minutes. No, we'll give you one minute because we only have seven minutes left. <laughs> and Dr. Mbina... Janina and I will hang out. If you want to call in, I mean, we'll just chit chat. <laughs> oh, we could talk about your clinic while they're calling in, if they're going to call in. Mm-hmm. What, what motivated you to open this separate clinic for vitiligo patients? So what really motivated me was the fact that nobody in the Boston area has something like this. And with all of the departments, you know, the dermatology departments in Boston, I felt like somebody needed to do it. And since I had the natural interest anyways, I figured why not me, I guess. Um, Why not you? Kind of, yeah, it felt kind of sad to me that, you know, with all the great medical institutions that we have in Boston, that we don't have a place for these patients to go, especially to get some of these treatments that are hard to find, like the surgical treatments. I'm so excited. I can't wait. Yeah, hopefully it will be an asset to people in the community. I, I know. Well, maybe people will even fly in to come see you. <laughs> Seriously, because there's no such clinic around. Well, not flying from the, from the New England area. <laughs> I don't know about from L.A. But when you're a renowned facility, maybe they will. Yeah, I mean, because at least in terms of the surgical treatments, there are, I 
probably literally only four or five people in the country that can do them. So it's hard sometimes if you're in a place that doesn't have someone who specializes in the disease to really find somebody who can treat you more aggressively. Because I've never even heard of it before meeting you, that 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 was a viable option for treatment. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's frustrating because it does work very well, at least in the studies that have been published. So it'd be nice if they're easy enough things to do that I feel like more dermatologists should learn and should be able to do them. I think so, too. Well, nobody has called in. So, Dr. Danita, I would like to thank you so much for participating in this show. You are our heroine, or should we say hero, heroine? (laughs) And your price is, oh, somebody did call in. Let's see. I'm sorry. Before we go, we'll take one question. We have four (laughs) minutes left. Let's see. Sure. Hello? Hello? Yes. Hello. Would you like is, to identify yourself? Yes, it is. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Dr. Benita. This is Valerie. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? And I'm Wonderful. Fabulous. We are so delighted and honored to have you on the program tonight. You guys are doing a fabulous job. And so I'd like to personally take this time to thank you for joining um, this group and being partnering with us to seeing that the New England area have something of our very own. And we would love to to be a part of your grand opening for the uh, clinic that you're hoping to do. Again, that is in January, correct? That's the hope. It may be pushed back a little, to be honest, but we're we're shooting over that time frame. Okay, wonderful. Well, a few of us, once you keep us informed, we are definitely planning to take some time out and to come and to see the facility there. So, again, I want to thank you for, on behalf of the entire team for coming on and joining with us tonight. I've been just sitting back and enjoying the show. Thank you, Sharon. Uh-huh. Thank, thank you, you, Dr. Benita. Awesome thank you. Yeah. Okay, we look forward to doing this again. Thank, thank you. Thank you, ladies. Bye-bye. Thank you. Okay, Miss. Oh, I was about to say, Miss Dr. Vanina, we thank you again and for all you do and for what you do. So I guess this concludes our show, and we thank you so much for listening. Ciao. Thanks for having me. Thank you.